Well, today I'm going to continue my response to last week's question for the pastor related to the issue of speaking in tongues. I look forward to sharing more about that and this week's announcements as well. This is your Midweek Connection, Wednesday, September the 20th, 2023. this week's announcements. Number one, our next membership class is scheduled for Sunday, October the 22nd from 4 to 6 p.m. Now, if you're interested in exploring what membership at TMC is all about, you're encouraged to register for this class. Now, there's no obligation, but you will in that class receive important information about TMC that I guarantee will help you make an informed decision about your church membership. Child care is available upon request, and you can register in this Friday's email blast, or you can contact Julie Danger at her email is there on the screen, or you can call her at 515-255-2122. Number two, women's Bible study. We have one coming up titled Discerning Truth in a World of Error, and that begins Saturday, October the 7th. Uh, the group's going to meet from 9 to 10.30 a.m. each Saturday through November the 4th. You can register for this class in this Friday's email blast. Number three, our next parent-child dedication is scheduled for Sunday, October the 29th. If you're interested in learning more about this, you can connect with Tracy Grease, our TMC Kids Director. Her email is there on the screen. And finally, I just want to remind you that TMC is now available on podcast, and it's called On Mission. You can catch this podcast um, anytime that you want, and you will find each Sunday sermon and also each week's midweek connection on either Spotify, Apple, or Google podcast platforms. Well, that's really all I have for this week as it relates to announcements. Now we move on to questions for the pastor. Well, this week's question for the pastor is a continuation of my response to the question I introduced last week dealing with the issue of tongues. The individual asked, how do we use and apply tongues and interpretation of tongues in the church and also in our private prayer life? Do we need, a second question, another baptism of the Holy Spirit like what happened in Acts 2? Well, I'm going to deal with the issue of Holy Spirit baptism after I have fully responded to the question about tongues. So, today we continue with part two. Now, last week from the book of Acts, I laid the biblical foundation uh, of tongues. What are they? Where did the phenomenon come from? And what was the purpose of the phenomenon? Now, Acts chapter 2, 10 and 19, as I showed last week, provide an exhaustive treatment of, the tongue, of tongues in the book of Acts and also reveals that each occurrence uh, 
we find there provided evidence that the parties identified had received the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Again, just as a reminder, Acts chapter 2 was the initial 120 disciples who were waiting for the arrival of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, we find a group of Gentiles who uh, heard the gospel and received the same indwelling and the power of the Spirit when they believed. And then Acts chapter 19 records some disciples of John the Baptist who had not yet believed in Jesus the Messiah and also, quite frankly, had no knowledge that there even was a Holy Spirit. Now again, in each case, the point of speaking in tongues was not for worship or evangelism or for revelation of some future event, but was the sign that they had received the indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit. That's an important thing to hang on to. Also, before I move on, I believe it's important to note that in each of these occurrences, those speaking in tongues spoke in known languages that they did not know. Now, they did not speak in some unknown mystical language. And that's another important distinction to keep in mind as we go throughout this and subsequent responses. Now, all of that leads to this question. Speaking in tongues. Does it remain the sign or evidence that a person has believed in Jesus and received the Holy Spirit? Now, really, that is a, a very important question, and I want to deal with that. So, within the book of Acts itself, we have the record of many, many who came to faith in Christ, and they were accepted as believers, but there is no record of them speaking in tongues. Here are just a few. Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 17 uh, records the converts in Samaria. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 39, the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 18, the conversion of Saul, a.k.a. Paul. Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15, the conversion of Lydia. Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 34, the conversion of the Philippian jailer and his household. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 4, the converts in Thessalonica. Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 12, the converts in Berea. Acts chapter 18, verses 7 through 8, the conversion of Titus, Justus, and Crispus. And I could go on. But really, at this point, there's no need because the result would be the same. Both in Acts and throughout the rest of the New Testament, other than the occurrences we saw in Acts 2, 10, and 19, all other conversions to Christ say nothing about those converts speaking in tongues as evidence that they had received the Holy Spirit. Well, this then brings me to something I have found helpful in my study of scriptures, and I want to pass it along to you. When reading a text where things are happening of a spiritual nature, as one reads that text, one needs to ask, is what I see here descriptive or prescriptive? In other words, is the text simply telling me what happened, or is the text telling me what happened, and what must continue to happen going forward. Let me give you an example. Acts chapter 2 records Peter preaching the gospel. And in verse 38, Peter said this, Repent 
and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now there are three things to take note of in his comments. Number one, repent. Repentance is the sign that one actually believes the gospel and thus believes in Christ as Savior. A person would not repent if they did not believe the message of the gospel. Baptism. Baptism is one's public declaration of identification and faith in Jesus. As we all know, Jesus alone is the author of our salvation, and one must by faith identify with him in his death for sin and resurrection to new life, and baptism is the prescribed way that Jesus taught us to identify with him pertaining to our salvation. And then the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now there are two things here I want to make known quickly. Number one, the Bible is very clear that if one does not have the indwelling Holy Spirit, they do not have Christ and thus are not saved. Romans chapter 8 verse 9. And then secondly, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is the seal of one's salvation uh, unto the fullness of their redemption when their body is fully redeemed as is their soul and spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. So, Here's what we discover. Where Peter called sinners to repent, be baptized, and identify one's, uh, identifying one's faith in Christ Jesus and to receive the Holy Spirit, not only does Acts describe this as what it means to be saved from the curse of sin, but it is also the prescription for the same. In other words, the only way anyone can be saved is through repentance and faith in Jesus, thereby receiving the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Tongues, beyond the three occurrences in Acts, are never again presented beyond those occurrences as the evidence that one has received the Holy Spirit. So, those occurrences in Acts... Uh, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19 are not the prescription for salvation or the evidence of the Spirit being in someone's life, but rather describe what happened in those initial days when the Holy Spirit came and demonstrated His coming through the supernatural gifting of speaking in tongues. So, moving beyond those three occurrences, which scripture never records again as evidence that one is saved and possesses the Holy Spirit? What then is the evidence now? And that's really a great question, isn't it? So, I'm going to propose to you that the evidence of one's true conversion and the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit is a transforming life where the fruit of the Spirit is being produced and matured. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25, the Apostle Paul contrasts the, the life of the unredeemed to that of the redeemed. First, the unredeemed, verses 19 through 21. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, revelries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, the works of the flesh are the natural manifestations of the sin nature. And, and, they're, and they're the natural part of every person's life before Christ. But once a person comes to Christ and receives the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit, a life of transformation begins to take place. And we see this transformation spelled out for us in verses 22 through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So when it comes to what is normative or what is prescriptive as evidence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it is clear by the absence of speaking in tongues beyond those three occurrences in Acts, the tongues are not the enduring sign of receiving the Holy Spirit but rather the transformational work of the Spirit, where the fruit of the Spirit is increasing and the works of the flesh are decreasing, is that sign. So, what about then the spiritual gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 demonstrates that these are legitimate gifts, so we must ask, what place do they have in the believer's life, both personal and also when gathered as the church? Well, that will be our topic next week, all right, as we continue with part three, dealing with this question. Well, let's take a moment for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way it helps us to discover that which is true versus that which is false. You know, Lord, we see very clearly in the book of Acts that speaking in tongues was a very real uh, manifestation that was brought on uh, for those three instances where people uh, received, initially received the Holy Spirit. But then as we continue through the, Old, the New Testament, in fact, as we even look closer in Acts, we see so many people who um, were saved there is no evidence of them speaking in tongues. And we know they received the Spirit because without the Spirit, they can't be saved. Lord, help us to be able to sort through this, to be able to recognize what is um, descriptive versus what is prescriptive, to recognize that in the book of Acts, there were some transitional things from the old covenant to the new uh, that had a place in time and played out in time. And now uh, there is a different um, prescription specifically for the evidence of uh, having received the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, who have him and who believe in Jesus to grow in the fruit of the Spirit that we might um, continually show evidence of our belonging to you and our uh, possession of the Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, may we glorify you in all that we do. May we be a benefit to others, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Sunday finds us in Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 17a, where John comes face to face with the resurrected, glorified Christ. It's quite a thing to, consider, to, uh, to take in, 
And I look forward to unpacking that with you when we gather this coming Sunday. Until then, God bless and have a great week.